What a beautiful name it is. Man, I just love being able to worship. I'm so grateful for our team. If you're grateful for our team, can you drop that in the comments or shoot us a message? Tell us how they've been encouraging you. They work so hard to help us worship God together. And uh, it's just a privilege, privilege to participate in that. Listen, online location people, you guys are just ridiculously awesome. We started the YOLO challenge. I thought it'd be six weeks and that would be pushing it. And you just keep on knocking stuff off. In fact, we are so close. I'm not going to tell you the number because last time I told you the number on this thing, it was like outdated in minutes. I will tell you this, that we're running a matching gift that could be met any moment now for the last big items on that YOLO project. And then there's a bunch of smaller items. Like, would you just take a second, hit the button below this and, and see if we have everything checked off. We're so close. We could, we could finish that project this week and start the process of putting you virtually in the room during the services, it's going to be absolutely amazing. We have all kinds of things planned for that. And uh, I love, if you've given to that, thank you so much. I hope that you are, you are soon going to be experiencing the blessing of that generosity. And please know that your generosity is impacting people all around the county, actually all around the country. So I'm just stoked about that. We're going to jump into a very... Um, well, it is what it is. I think it's an, important, it's an important part of this series that we call about time for some good news. And by the end of this message, I think we're going to be flooded with some really good news from God. And uh, I'm excited about it. I definitely need you to pray with me right now, get my heart and maybe your heart ready for what God has for us. God, we thank you so much for what you have for us in your word and in worship, and we need it. We need you to show up right now and to do in our hearts and our minds what, what we need you to do. Uh, just clear the distractions. Help us make room for you. Wherever we are, in the car, at work, in the break room, at home, in bed still, wherever we're watching this, help us to make room for you right now. We can't skip past these moments. We need you to, to encourage our hearts, to strengthen our faith, to move in us, to draw us closer to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are in this series called About Time for Some Good News, and I got some good news for you. The sermon of today's message is called Wrecked. <laughs> You're like, that's not a good way to start a message on good news. Wrecked? You know, there's two ways to talk about that word wrecked. There's like the, oh man, it's wrecked. Like when, when a kid brings a toy that's just ripped to shreds because a dog was chewing on it for like four days and they just found it and they're like with tears in their eyes could you could you fix this and you look at it and you're like there ain't no amount of duct tape that's gonna put that thing back together it's wrecked there's no fixing it it's wrecked and then the other way to talk about wrecked is man that thing wrecked me <laughs> you know like that mo that worship song 
that worship song that, that wrecked me. And we talk about wrecked like when something is broken beyond fixability, and we talk about wrecked when we talk about things that hit us right square in the heart and make our eyes water up and we get all you know, emotional and stuff like that. We talk about wreck differently. The title for the message today is Wrecked. And full disclosure, like I'm starting this message knowing that, man, you got to hang on for the end. You can't drop out a minute into this message, two minutes into this message without getting the full thing. Because what happens when we have the conversation that we're about to have is the most important piece gets left off the end and you're not left with good news. So I don't know. I'm just going to say it now. Probably somebody on the team is going to be mad at me for saying this. But if you got other stuff to do, then just go do it. If you got to go grocery shopping and you're trying to do that online and there's a chance you're not going to catch the end of this, then just do it and hit this thing up later. I'm not saying disregard it and don't watch it. It could be the most important message of this entire series. I'm not saying just skip this one. I'm saying that you can't start it and drop off the end. Because there's some things that, you know, I don't really want to talk about, but I probably should. You ever, you ever have that in life? Things that... You don't really want to talk about, but you know you probably should. I, I don't want to talk about dating, having a teenage daughter. I don't want to talk about it, but you know, like I probably should. And I checked with her just to make sure I could even say that. Like I had a friend who mentored me in college. He had daughters. He was older. He's a prof at school. And uh, I learned so much from him. And probably the most important thing I learned from him, and this is free for all the dads out there, is you got to have all the guys in the neighborhood think you're a little crazy. they got to like you, but they also got to think you're a little nuts. So every once in a while, just say something really nutty. Everybody's like, what? Now wait, was he serious? <laughs> I'm not sure. And it's that space that makes this whole thing okay. Like, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to talk about money, especially when I don't have any. <laughs> but I probably should. You, you see how that thing works? Like, we want to avoid conversations, and some of those conversations are probably the most important conversations we could have. I don't want to talk about why the ice cream is empty when all the kids are standing there with empty bowls because mom told them they could have Sundays tonight, but the container is still in the freezer with no ice cream in it. I don't want to talk about that, I, but, I, but I probably... I probably should talk about that. There's all kinds of things in life I don't want to talk about. I don't want to talk about how I've been how I was wrong when I spent the last 45, 46 and a half minutes trying to tell everybody how right I was and it finally occurred to me that I'm wrong. I don't want to talk about it. But for the sake of my family, I probably I probably should. I don't want to talk about what I did in high school with my kids, but I probably should. <laughs> you ever notice that sometimes the things we don't want to talk about are the most important things we should be talking about? We don't want to talk about them because it's uncomfortable, because we're, we're scared or intimidated by the conversation, but those are the 
things we need to talk about. Like right now, I, I don't really want to talk about you, but I probably should because you probably have things you don't want to talk about, but probably should be talking about them. See what I did there? It's slick. But maybe you have things like your marriage that you don't really want to talk about, but you probably should. Maybe, maybe you're dealing with some real deep issues in your heart that scare you because you've never quite felt like this. Uh, you've never had to deal with anxiety like this. You don't want to talk about it, but, but you probably should. Maybe things are falling apart for you in some sort of relationship you have, a meaningful relationship. You just can't seem to get back to where you were, to a healthy spot. You're communicating and missing. You don't want to talk about it, but you probably should. Maybe you don't want to talk about your finances and your lack of budgeting, but that's probably the thing you should. You see, it's the, it's the big things and usually the most important things that we don't want to talk about, but we probably should. This message, wrecked. It's about a subject most of the time we don't want to talk about, but we probably should. And the message is about sin. Now, just when you hear that word, it already starts to mess with you, and maybe you brace yourself. In preparation, I did, like, Oh, we got to talk about sin today. We got to talk about it. I'm, I'm going to talk about it from a different angle than maybe you're used to. And when I hear that word, all of a sudden, like, I perk up. Like, oh, no, preacher's going to say something that touches a little too close to home? <laughs> is he going to have a conversation that I, I really don't like? And, he, and here's why we think that. We think that because maybe in your past experiences or when you've heard that word before, the conversation usually goes the same. It's usually that word thrown in to defining a list for your life. And that list will say, oh, you're good or you're not good. You're, you're doing great or you're not doing great. You're in trouble or you're not going, you're not in trouble. We take it and we use that word like it's a label. We put it on all kinds of practices. Preacher can't wear those shoes or that shirt. He's on the sin list. You, you, get, you can do this, you're on the good list. It's like we got this jacked up version of Santa Claus that we're applying to God where we have these lists that we create and you're either good or bad and you're either in big trouble or you're not in trouble at all. And if, it's, if, the, if, the, if the scale is out of balance and the bad side, we're leaning a little bit to it. It's been a rough weekend and you better make sure you get to church on Sunday so you can build up the good side and balance the scale. And by the way, if you can't balance the scale, well then, you're You're toast. And the place we should find the fix for that kind of thinking is church. But a whole lot of people that I know, maybe you watching this, maybe it's why you won't even show up to in-person church and you're just hanging out online. A whole lot of people I know, what they find at the end of that conversation is just more judgment. You see, I think we react to that word sin because of how the conversation has gone for us in the past. And what I'm saying is the conversation should go differently. 
It should always end with grace. So the disclaimer is this, just straight up. If you hear that word sin and you know that message is going to be about it, and you're, you're probably not thinking this is a good news kind of message. You're thinking, you're thinking this is an I'm, I'm stuck kind of message. I'm in trouble kind of message. I don't want anybody telling me that I can't do what I'm doing or that what I'm doing is wrong. And, and you probably are thinking that way because church has just given you the make you feel bad about it end of the conversation. <laughs> the make you feel like you're, you know, there's so many people that have walked away from God because they've tried to balance that message out themselves and realize that they never really can. They can't live up to it. And so they walk away. There's a whole lot of people that have walked away from church because the conversation has always ended wrong. All that ever happens is they're made to feel bad about themselves. That's not how Jesus rolled. In Mark chapter 3, chapter 2, and verse 13, it tells a story about Jesus early on in his ministry. It's actually a story that I preached before, but it usually ends with one guy, and, and we're not going to focus on the one guy, Matthew, right now. Matthew was a, was, a, was a guy Jesus loved and ends up becoming one of his disciples, and here, here's here how it goes. It says, once again, Jesus went out beside the lake and a large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth, which basically meant Levi was the least popular guy on the street. All of, the, all of his, his, his folk thought he was a traitor. He sold them out for Rome. He, had, he was manipulating people. He was the worst of the worst. A sinner, a greedy sinner to the core. They didn't want anything to do with him. They would spit on the ground when they thought about him if they didn't just outright spit at him. He says, he sits down at this, Jesus hits him up at the tax collector booth and just says, follow him. And they go to Levi. Levi got up and he follows him. And it says this in verse 15, when Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners, circle that word many, were eating with him and his disciples. For there were many, circle that word many, who followed him. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners. On hearing this, Jesus said to him, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but I've come to call the sinners. What's absolutely incredible about this passage is that word many. We, we when we talk about this, this word sin, we like to talk and focus on the one, the one thing that we think is the worst thing to do. The one sin we want to separate from all the others. The one sin we want to point out in everybody else. The one person who's the worst sinner. And, and here in the book of Mark, it makes a redundant point to show that Jesus attracted many. He was having lunch with them. Now that doesn't mean a whole lot in a culture where we eat lunch in our cars after hitting up a drive through 
It doesn't mean a whole lot in a, in a time and place where we eat meals on the fly, running from soccer practice to volleyball practice to play practice. It doesn't mean a whole lot when our, me, our idea of a meal is what throw some stuff in the crock pot early in the morning because everybody in the fam is running all over the place and we're just going to grab and go. It, it's not... It doesn't really hit with the same weight in a place where we come home from work and everybody's asleep and we're eating our dinner finally alone, quietly. You see, in this culture, in this time, what that signified was friendship. When you sit down to share a meal with somebody, you're saying, these are my people. That's why the Pharisees got so mad at Jesus. He was friends with the people they were judging. And they flocked to him. That, that wasn't just this one event. You see, you see, here's what I think was happening. You had a group of people that knew they couldn't keep it all together on their own. You had a group of people that were in touch with the idea that their way of doing life really wasn't cutting it. That, that all the Mistakes they were making in their relationships weren't landing with them feeling fulfilled. All the paths they tried to run down to make themselves feel better were still empty. All the money they could gain from greed and from ripping off people, they couldn't fill them up. Something was missing that they weren't finding at the temple. Something was missing that they weren't getting from the religious people, but they were getting it from Jesus. And you have this group of people that everybody else would label sinners who just couldn't stop focusing on and following this Jesus. And it's because what Jesus brought, what he, what he taught, what he embodied, was grace. A God who loved the worst of us so much that he would come be with us, pull a chair up to the table. So, so, so that's how the conversation's got to end. If you hear that word and you think, I don't belong in this place, or somebody threw a label on you and told you that God hated you, if you felt like an outcast because somebody put a list together and you, and you, didn't, you, you saw that list and thought, man, I'm in trouble now. If you feel like you can't come back to church because the walls will catch on fire. I can't believe I've actually heard that from people. Like if you feel like you don't belong, listen to this because God must hate you. He must be disappointed in you. He must, he must be mad at you. He's going to be angry at you when everything you did hits that table. You got to know it's already on the table for him. And he's pulling up a chair across from you. And he's saying, I'm God and I love you and I'm here for you. You see, the problem with the conversation about sin, and by the way, if you like talking about sin, but you don't 
add grace to that conversation. There's something wrong with you, and you can book an appointment with me. I'll be glad to sit down with you, and we can dig into why you get all excited talking about everybody else's sin and not excited talking about grace. But now I'm getting a little wound up, and I can feel the people that love me watching this going like, just take a breath for a second, dude. So I'm gonna. <laughs> you got to end the conversation with grace. You see, the, the picture of Jesus reframes the whole conversation. He knows everything on all the lists we hold in our heart and all the lists we write from others. And he sits down across from the table and he says, I love you. You're my people. I want to be with you. So then we got to say, we got to answer some questions though. Like some tough questions here. And the first one is, what is, what, so what's sin? I, I'm not going to do what maybe you're hoping I do or, or what maybe you're afraid I'll do, which is like write a list. Because I think what, what happens is even when we're writing lists, we don't really understand what the Bible actually is talking about when it's talking about sin. And to really answer the question, what is sin, we don't start with a list the, God and his spirit, when we give our lives to him, that he works in us to help us know what we should and what we shouldn't do and what steps are good and what steps aren't. To really understand this conversation, you've got to go all the way back to, to Genesis chapter 3. And I don't even know how much time I have. Shoot, that would be really helpful to know right now. So I'm going to figure that out while I keep going. Um. It, we got to go back to Genesis, and it says this. It says, Genesis, you have the fall captured in three, and, and here's what you have to know real fast. Grab a pen, hit stop, and replay this if you need to. But, like, here's what you got to know. God created a perfect world, and us to experience this perfection. He, he created this perfect opportunity for us to experience his perfect love. He created us to be perfectly in relationship with each other and perfectly in relationship with him. A perfect God, a perfect place, and a perfect relationship. But because he created us in love and to love, that love requires freedom. Listen, it's not, free, it's not real love if, if there's not freedom. And it's not real freedom if I don't have a choice to love you back. So because God created us in love and to love him in this perfect place, a perfect God, to enjoy all of this amazing stuff, he gave us freedom. And with that freedom came a choice. And with all choices come consequences. And, and here in the picture, we have the choice laid out for us. It was a choice where I think we often get it wrong. We focus on that one thing again instead of all of it. God said, here's all of it. The entire world is yours. All I have created is yours to enjoy. There's just this one. It's just this one tree. That's your choice. I, I give you everything. Just not this one tree. Choose me. Choose life. Enjoy all of it. And that was the choice we had. 
You see, I think sometimes we think that we had this choice and it was set up to failure, like this dart, this dart video I used to see. There's this dart video, right, like I had, and um, I was surfing YouTube with my oldest child, and uh, I probably permanently damaged her because of this, but like... um, I remember searching dart, dart videos or on YouTube or whatever, and there's this picture, and I should have turned it off right away. This dude was, like, standing there, right, like, with his hand up on a dartboard like his buddy was going to try to throw the dart between his fingers. And he turns for a second, and the dart, like, hits him right in the head. Like, that's what I think sometimes we, like, we don't understand. We had it all. We could have thrown it anywhere. And we hit it right in the head. We threw it right into our own foot. Like, we missed the mark. And that's what sin is. It's missing the mark, the target, the bullseye. We had the whole world. And we hit the one tree. It was a choice we bought into because of a lie. In the garden, the lie from Satan was this, to humanity. It's the same lie you deal with right now. It's the same lie at the root of every mistake we've ever made. The lie says this. It says God doesn't care about you. He doesn't have your best in mind. And you can do a better job of being the God of your own life. And so with that tempting lie, humankind fell. We had the whole world, but we missed the mark, and we hit the one tree. Because we had freedom and were created in love, freedom requires choice, and our choice had consequences. That's what sin means, the actual word. There's probably, I don't know, a buddy of mine, we were trying to think of what word would apply best in our culture right now. Um, the word in Greek and in Hebrew is hamratia, hata, and it means miss the mark, and it, it has that picture of like not hitting the bullseye, but we were trying for the bullseye and hit our foot, like that's how bad we missed the mark. We, uh, it was all of us. Romans 3.23, it's, it's hard to blame it on Adam and Eve because we all do it all the time. Romans 3.23, sin is missing the mark, and we've all fallen short. And missed it. That's not hard to understand when you realize what sin does. It it wrecks everything. It wrecked it. And we couldn't fix it. When I get when I get the question, how could a good God allow suffering? It all goes back to this moment in the garden where we were created with love and had a choice, and that choice had consequences. And what we brought to the table, what we brought to the table was the destruction and the brokenness, and you've tasted that. You've broken things, and you've been broken. And that's what sin does. It separated us from a perfect God his perfect plan for us. We brought to the table of the world and of our lives and we continue to bring toward the table brokenness and destruction and pain and heartache and the root of all of those things is because we just missed the mark so badly. 
makes the list like it almost doesn't even, it doesn't matter because we got to own all of it, the whole thing. But Jesus pulled up to the table and the story never was going to end with sin. It's a promise right there in Genesis chapter 3 in the beginning of your Bible. God tells the serpent in the garden that he will, that, that the offspring of Eve will crush your head and you will strike its, its heel. And it's pointing right to Jesus right there at the cross. You see, what's so absolutely amazing about this conversation is God's redemptive plan never missed a beat. It didn't get stuck. It wasn't thrown off course. He's always had a plan to wreck you in a good way and fix the wreck we've made of our lives. And the plan is Jesus and grace. Romans 5, it says it like this. It says, um, it's a confusing passage until I realized what Paul was trying to get at over and over and over again. It, it starts... I've stuck a little tiny piece of paper in here, and that's not uh, whatever. I told you it was a little tiny piece of paper. Romans 5 and verse 12, it says this. It says, therefore, just as sin entered the world, it's what we brought, right? Through one man and death through sin, though we all own that. And in this way, death came to all people because all had sinned. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but... The gift of God is eternal life. You see, you can't end the conversation in sin. Go down to 15. It says, but the gift is not like the trespass. For if many died by the trespass for, of the one man, how much more? Write that down. Circle that. Did God's grace and the gift that came by grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? <laughs> Where it is again. Man! To the many. You can't say I don't belong. I'm not good enough. I've screwed up. I got all the wrong labels. I can't be there. God doesn't love me. He's disappointed in me. He's going to reject me. You can't say that because what Christ did for you is offer you grace. It's not just his unmerited favor to you. It's the unmerited pardon he brings to you. You can't fix it because it's wrecked, but he can. And he's not far off mad. He's pulling a chair up to the table and what he offers overflows to the many to you. This passage goes on and on, and it keeps comparing the two. It says, you think sin's big, God, God's grace is bigger. You think what you did to screw it up is a big deal? What Jesus did is bigger. It's bigger. Where sin increased, in verse 20, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death so grace may reign through righteousness to the eternal life through Jesus our Lord. God will meet your greatest wreck with grace. Listen, the important thing to understand about sin is that it's something we all participate in. We, we all buy those lies over and over and over again. I know better for my life. God doesn't really care. His plan for me is not the best plan. These, 
these guidelines he has for me aren't going to lead me to joy. We think we can be gods of our own lives. And if, if that's where you're at, I just want to ask, like, how's that going? Because my guess is it's broke. But that's okay. Because Jesus brings more. There's this woman, it's recorded in John chapter 8. Jesus was teaching at the temple and the religious leaders, how ridiculous is that, caught this woman in adultery and so they brought her to Jesus to test him, scripture teaches us. There's a crowd there listening to Jesus and all these religious leaders were gathered around because who doesn't want to see a dramatic show like that? Maybe they could get Jesus. Who really cares about this woman in the first place? She was just a pawn in their jacked up game, but she was a very hurting pawn. Could you imagine what that would have felt like for you? If your dirty laundry got drug out in front of everybody to see. It was probably uh, even more difficult than anything we could imagine because in that time and culture, man, they did not treat women caught in adultery very well. In fact, the punishment, according to their law, was death. That's what should have happened to them. And you could imagine this rowdy crowd as they drug her through the street. And maybe she... She probably didn't even have time to put on proper clothes or get herself together. They busted into the room and caught her in this act. I shouldn't have to draw that out for you. But here in a moment, her life completely humiliated and her death lingering in the air in front of her. I don't know if she had family, people she cared about. No doubt the word would have gotten around fast. I bet you that people even would throw stuff at her, call her names. We do it today. As they drug her down the street to the temple to throw her in front of Jesus, maybe people even spit at her, threw some punches. No avoiding the devastation and the brokenness in her heart. With the angry cat crowd yelling judgment at her, calling out her sin, pointing to the worst part of her. Here she was being thrown in front of Jesus. I wonder what ran through her mind. The mistakes she made that led her to this awful position. The relationships that were broken, the emptiness she was chasing in the arms of a lover. I wonder what was running through her her mind as she heard the accusations being thrown at her, the challenge being levied to Jesus, the law says she should die, what do you say? I wonder if she was waiting for the first stone as she heard the crowd still yelling even more, ruckus and violent. I wonder if her eyes were open enough to see Jesus as he knelt down and started to write in the sand. The story goes that Jesus is writing in the sand and he looks up and he throws the challenge back to the crowd and he says, let you who are without sin cast the first stones. The tension would have filled the air. The conversation of sin was deep and hurtful and uncomfortable. But not as hurtful as it was for this woman Maybe she even thought in this moment, I don't even want to live after this. So humiliated, so destroyed, so broken, 
suffering the consequences of a system that missed the mark. Suffering the consequences of her own journey missing the mark. And suffering the consequences of these angry mob so missing the mark. I wonder if she hung her head in shame and disappointment. Resolved to know that she was probably about to die. wonder if the most important people in her life flashed through her mind. wonder if she was afraid of the disappointment and the shame they would feel towards her because of how this scene all ended. And then, as the silent takes over the crowd, you could hear a stone hit the ground. And maybe probably one of the wiser people in the, in the group turned and walked away faced with their own missing the mark. Boom, 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 boom. One by one, the stones hit the ground and the crowd starts to disperse. Tense moments until there's only Jesus and this woman left. If it was me, I wouldn't have even been able to look at him. He looked at her and he said, where have they all gone? Does no one condemn you? And in the end of John chapter 8, you have this absolutely beautiful moment between Jesus and this woman. And her sin on full, full display in front of everybody, her her brokenness right there in front of Jesus, the one who could condemn her, the God who would be angry, the God who would reject her, the face she expected disappointment from the most. Jesus looked at her and said, where are they? Has no one condemned her? And she probably with trembling in her voice said, no one, sir. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. What's so important about this moment is the picture of grace. Maybe she didn't deserve it, couldn't earn it, didn't merit it in any way. But Jesus passes on the opportunity to condemn her, to offer her something different. And the loving look of God Almighty in the flesh said, I love you. There's a better way. Take it. You have a choice. Choose me. It's the grace I need. It's the grace I'm searching for. And I want to be found in the crowd of the many Sinners who just couldn't stop focusing on this Jesus, couldn't stop following him, and just had to lean in more. Listen, you got some sin, so do I. We've all missed the mark. We're not going to write out a list right now. All we got to know is that the hope 
and what we need desperately to restore us to our relationship with God, to put us on a path back with him towards the better stuff he has for us, is that he pulled his chair up to the table. He sat down to have a meal with us, and he offered us something we could never do. He took the wreck we could never fix, and he wrecked us in a good way with his grace, I hope you dive into it. I hope you own it. I hope you lean into him and the grace he has for you. God, we are undone without your grace. We need it. Would you swell it in our hearts? Would you help us to accept it as our own if we have never accepted it by taking all of our junk and all of our baggage and all of our sin and just saying, here it is, God. I can't do anything with this, but I know you can. I give it all to you. Would you forgive me? Here's my life. It's yours. I need your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.